Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's one of our leaders, Tim Kleiner. All right, why don't we get into the Word today? You guys excited about the Word of God? The Word of God is quick, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? So if you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we will begin reading in verse 1. For every time there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. Um, This is the verse that we will be covering today, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. Then verse 7, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time for peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for your word. Father, we thank you that you would unveil, unfold, reveal the word of God to our hearts that it would affect change in our lives, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that not one person that is sitting here today would leave the same that you would touch us, that you would change us, that we would encounter you, Father God, that that we would have a God experience today, Father God, for you deserve all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the the past couple months, We've been talking in, our, in this series on seasons, times and seasons of our lives. And the goal of this series, the main purpose of this series, is really to find the meaning of life. What is the meaning of, of life? Now, I think all of us have been faced with those type of questions. Sitting at home at night in your bed, have you ever thought, why am I here? What is my purpose? If you feel like you're in a, in a dead-end job and you're like, what is the use? Why am I doing this? I don't have any satisfaction. There's no peace. What is it all about? Why am I here? And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who wrote this book, kind of dives into this. And he, he looks at it from different vantage points, okay? And so before we go into... Um, a time to seek and a time to lose, I just want to recap of the general theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. And so um, I want to refer you back to um, Pastor Matt's original, his first message called The Meaning of of Life. Um, You can listen to it on our podcast, on our Refuge app, 
or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, and it's there as, as well. So I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Matt's message. But real briefly, we just want to look at uh, the overall theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you would, turn back to chapter 1, and we'll just read real quick uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, which most scholars believe that that's Solomon. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. That sounds real exciting, doesn't it? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So he uses that phrase, vanity. And that phrase vanity, it just simply means something that's futile, empty, worthless, without meaning, void of satisfaction, okay? And he says then that everything under the sun is vanity. And so we have that phrase under the sun, okay? So the word vanity, going back to that, that word is mentioned 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And then the, and then the phrase under the sun is mentioned 28 times, okay? So under the sun means the sphere of the world that we live in, our time and space, everything that happens on this earth under the sun, under heaven, okay? And he's saying there, his finding out is everything is empty and vanity, worthless. And he even says vanity of vanities. So what does that mean? Does that mean futility of futile or futile of futility? No, that doesn't make sense. What he's saying there, it, it, it's, um, it's a literary device that shows absolute radical emphasis that there is such emptiness in this world that all is vanity. Now, in the New Testament, the New Testament never quotes the book of Ecclesiastes. However, Paul does make, um, does allude to it um, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 21 he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, or we could say under the sun in this world, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subject to futility or vanity. Okay? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So what is this, what is this talking about? It's talking about the fall of man. When man sinned, this earth was subject to futility, to emptiness, to unsatisfaction. Okay, But there is coming a day... When Jesus returns and he's going to redeem this earth and restore it back to his original intentions. But how many know for the believer, we do not have to wait for the earth to be renewed and to change. 
Because if you are in Christ, if you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And so in Galatians chapter 1, he says, in verse 4, Paul says, uh, speaking of Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age or everything under the sun. So then, the only way that we can have satisfaction and don't go through life with that empty feeling is if we make Jesus our Lord and Savior. It is only through Christ. So the major themes of the book of Ecclesiastes is number one, facing the frustration, the the, the frustrating, perplexing, meaningless side of life finding joy and satisfaction in life, and fearing God throughout life. And so in chapter, uh, chapter 2, he talks about the vanity of self-indulgences, going after money, going after sex, going after women. Solomon had thou- hundreds of wives and hundreds of concubines, uh, accumulating all this wealth. And then he talks about all the wisdom that he got, all the education and the knowledge that he attained. And then he talks about all the, 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 the hard work and, and the temple that he built and all the palaces that he constructed. And he came to the conclusion that it is all worthless. It's all vanity. It is all empty. In and of itself, everything that we try to accomplish in life, it is meaningless without Christ. Now, some of us, we may turn to alcohol. We may turn to drug use. Others may, like me, may have lived a lily white life. Didn't do anything wrong. Never been in trouble or any of that kind of stuff. All right? But we treasure other things. We may treasure education. We may try to go to college and take all these classes to try to better ourselves, to try to accomplish the American dream. Or we try to work a job and, 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 and rub our knuckles to the bone, trying to, to build our life and to, to accomplish something for our family. But without Christ, it means nothing. Because you know what? This world is going to go away. And all the stuff that we accomplish is just going to be a big pile of ash. It means nothing without Christ. The, back in 1965, there was a band that came over from, the, from, from England with a British invasion that transformed the music industry in, in, in this country. And, they, and their hit record that went to number one in this country is really the heart's cry of every single person that's fallen. The heart cry of the of fallen humanity. And that is, I can't get no satisfaction. I try, and I try, and I try, and I get no satisfaction. That was the Rolling Stones. We try, and we try to accumulate things. We try, and try to reach, and try to accomplish peace in our hearts, but there is no peace without seeking after God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has put eternity in our hearts. See, God does not live under the sun. 
He does not, he is not bound by time and space. God dwells in eternity. So the only way, because eternity dwells in your heart, the only way you will be satisfied in life is if you passionately seek after God. St. Augustus in the 4th century said, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Earthly pursuits are good in their proper place and time, but unprofitable when pursued as the primary goal and purpose in life. We have to give up as loss the pursuits of our own pleasure and seek after the pursuit of, the, of pleasure in God. Hedonism is the school of thought that the primary purpose of life is to seek our own pleasure and our own wisdom. Christianity is contrary to hedonism. Christianity seeks one's own pleasure and joy and delight in God. So there's a time to seek and there's a time to lose. There's a time to keep and there's a time to cast away. And so if you notice in this list in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you have positives and you have negatives, like a time to be born, a time to plant, okay? And so what we're going to do in this verse, a time to seek and a time to uh, lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, we're going to look at the positives first, and then we're going to look at the negatives, because the positives um, correspond with one another, and the negatives correspond with, with one another, okay? So in Psalm chapter 27, David said in verse 4, one thing, one thing, in, in, in other words, the primary most important thing that I'm asking for, that I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When we seek after the Lord to dwell in the house of the Lord, this is synonymous with his presence. One thing that David thought was necessary and important was to seek God's presence. In verse 8, he says, You have said, Seek my face. Notice that that is a command. God commands us to seek his face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. And notice that his face, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to gaze upon the glory of the Lord, his splendor, his majesty, his wonder. We cannot fathom what that all entails. When we encounter God's presence, it changes us to the core. In Psalm 16, he says, You have made known unto me the path of life. Or you could say the meaning of life. Because the path of life, that's figurative, and it, 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 it means the way or the course or the way I should go in life. Okay, so on that path is purpose, okay? So you have made known unto me the purpose of life. 
So you want to know what your purpose is? Your primary purpose is in the next phrase. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That is your primary purpose, is to dwell in the presence of God, to treasure him, to enjoy him, to be satisfied with him more than anything else. And it says in his presence is fullness of joy. That word fullness means satisfying abundance. And that's only in the presence of the Lord. At your right hand, in your presence, is pleasure forevermore. So we are not to seek pleasure in the world. We are not to seek pleasure in trying to attain everything that the world says is ours. Our pleasure is in Christ, in his presence. So uh, back when, uh, probably about 15 years ago, uh, shortly after Allie was born, my older daughter, um, I ended up working two jobs, and I was just um, became beat down and just tired all the time, working my fingers to the bone, trying to, trying to make a living for my family. And my devotional life in the Word suffered. My prayer life suffered. And so all I wanted to do was, if I was off, because I worked two jobs, sometimes I wasn't off for a couple months or a month or so. So when I was home, I just wanted to camp in front of the TV and just go into a vegetated state, you know, because you're, you're tired. And when you're tired, that's when the enemy likes to, to come in, okay? And he likes to attack your mind. And so I begin to neglect things. And so um, sports became my treasure. I spend my life consumed with watching ESPN, with watching baseball. And so God was not my treasure, so what ended up happening is I ended up backsliding, started talking uh, wrongly, saying jokes wrongly, at, at, laughing at things at, at work, um, even experimenting with drinking, you know, never drank heavily or anything like, like that, but my morals started going down. My convictions started to go down, okay? And so that became my treasure. Then God... Um, totally encountered me April 2nd, 2008. And so, um, and I knew I was called to the ministry. I knew I was called to full-time ministry. But that was 10 years ago from where we are now. And so for the next seven years after that, I was in a job with a passion and a heart for God, wanting to minister, wanted to be in full-time ministry. But I was unsatisfied. I felt a longing that, that, that wasn't there, that wasn't fulfilled. And I thought ministry would fulfill my satisfaction. And if ministry can't fulfill my satisfaction, maybe learning, maybe knowledge, going back to school, learning theology. I love theology. I love church history. My favorite books are to read about that thick of a book of a systematic theology that most people would find absolutely boring. But that's okay. That's me. But I was trying to get satisfaction. 
But I came to realize the only satisfaction that I would have in life is not who I was in an individual, not what I did as a job, not if I was in ministry. My only satisfaction was who I was in Christ, knowing Christ. And it didn't matter what I did or didn't do. If I was in fellowship with him, then I am totally at peace and satisfied in life. See, there are primary purposes and there are secondary purposes in life. The primary purpose for your life will carry on into eternity. And that is to enjoy God and to glorify God by enjoying him. The secondary purposes is maybe your calling, what you are supposed to do here on this earth. But you will never walk in your secondary purposes if you do not get the primary purpose right. Until you passionately seek after God and make him the ultimate satisfaction and treasure in your life, you will never be satisfied and you will never fulfill the purpose, the secondary purpose of why you were here on this earth. John Piper makes this statement, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We all want to glorify God, right? We all want to live our Christian life that is pleasing to God, that glorifies God. But John Piper said here, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He has to become our greatest treasure. We have to seek him like buried treasure. In Matthew 13, verse 44 through 46, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So in order to find, you have to seek. And then he sells all. In other words, he gave up as loss everything else when he found Christ. There's a time to seek and there's a time to give up as loss. And then notice the word joy there. Joy is in connection with seeking and finding this treasure. There's satisfaction. Then the next verse says again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search, a search and a, a, a seek and find mission to find pearls, a find pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, of great treasure, of great worth, went and sold all and gave up as loss all that he had and bought it. What are you seeking for today? Are you seeking after the pleasures that this world can give you? Are you seeking after an education that can better your life to try to get you satisfied? Are you working a job consistently trying to build something in your own strength or in your own power? In the New Testament, uh, when Jesus fed the 5,000, 
after he, he fed those, those multitude of, of people, it said after they ate, they ate and were satisfied. Now, the next day, Jesus is gone because that night he took the, a, a boat. And actually, he walked across the, 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 the water there on the Sea of Galilee and went to Capernaum and, uh, to minister there. And so when, the next morning when the people awoke, Jesus is gone. So they go out in their boat seeking and trying to find Jesus in search of, of Jesus. And in John 6, 26, it, Jesus makes a statement. You are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you had your fill of food. They were seeking Jesus not because of who he was, because the signs pointed to his identity. The signs pointed that he was the Christ, the Son of God. They pointed to his majesty, his glory, his splendor, and they missed it. They missed the whole thing. And they were only seeking him for, for what they could get from him. Today, are you seeking Jesus for what you can get for him? Or are you seeking him for who he is? The greatest treasure in this earth. I'm convinced some people never receive healing in their physical body because they're seeking the healing and not the healer. When we seek the healer and get in his presence, sickness cannot stand in his presence. You seek the healer and the, and the sick will be healed. Jesus is our, to be our complete satisfaction. In Psalm chapter 63, we have to move on quickly here. In verse 1, it says, Oh God, you are my God earnestly. This is a strong desire, a passion and desire to seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We are to seek him because he is the fountain of living water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. Jesus is better than anything that this life can offer in and of itself. Verse 5, we'll skip there. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So notice when we are satisfied with the fountain of life, with the food of the word of God, of who Jesus is, we, what comes out of us is praise of joy satisfaction, enjoyment in our life. He is the fountain of life. In Jeremiah chapter 2, um, Israel is going through a time of idolatry. They went after other gods and, and worshipped the ashram and, and, and Baal, and, and God likens it to spiritual adultery and cheating on God. 
And God says, he, he says specifically, you're going after things that do not profit. In other words, you're going after things that have no value, that have no worth, that are empty. Why is it we value the valueless and treasure the worthless? And he's saying that to his people Israel. I think Jesus is still saying that today to believers. Why, why us as believers? Why are we treasuring things that do not profit? And, Jesus, and God said in, in Jeremiah, be appalled, be shocked. Oh, heavens, be shocked at this. The heavens itself are shocked at us because we are choosing things that are, do not profit. And God says there in, in Jeremiah, my people have committed two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me the fountain of living water. Number two, they have hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And a broken cistern that can hold no water, it turns to mud, where bacteria and larvae and mosquitoes and death dwell. And the people of Israel were so captivated and so in love with a, just a bunch of muck and mire. And God says, I'm right here. I am the fountain of living water. Come, drink of me. Jesus said in, in John chapter 4 and then again in John, chapter, in John chapter 7, I am the fountain of living water. He that's thirsty, come to me. If you want to be satisfied, come to me and drink. For the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. It will satisfy you. In, in, in chapter 7, it says on the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out. Now some people... They don't like real loud preachers. They like the real mellow guys. Other people, they, they like the loud people. Jesus got loud. Jesus was a loud preacher. He cried out, come to me if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if you want satisfaction. Drink of me. With his, he, says, he is saying that again today. With his nails, scarred hands stretched forth, Come to me if you want satisfaction. Seek me. Seek my face. For in my presence there is fullness of joy. It is only in me. We are to give up as loss the things of this world. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus said, He that comes after me, that seeks me, must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For he that will lose his life shall save it, but he who tries to gain his life will lose it. If you try to gain your life, try to do everything in your own strength, and your own power, you're going to lose it. That is a wasted life. God never wants you to waste your life. He wants you to give it up as loss. Paul gave up Everything that he achieved in his past life, all the, his prestige, his education, and he said, I give it up as loss for the surpassing worth, the surpassing treasure of knowing Christ. 
And he said, I counted as dung. Everything that he achieved in life, he counted as, honestly, as a big pile of poop. Think about that. Now, when I was, uh, uh, my sister, I have an older sister, and she was telling me about her kids. In that one time when, when they were both small and in the crib, you know, they got into their own diaper at night and they started playing with their poop, smearing it all over themselves, drawing pictures all over the walls and making a mess of it. But I think sometimes that is what we do. We go back to the dung, the muck, and we play in it. When God, when Jesus is right there and he's saying, come to me, Enjoy me. Experience me. Why go back to, the, to that dung and play in it? We need to cast off the works of darkness. There's a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. When you make Jesus your greatest treasure then you will dis- display him in, with glory. John Piper said, when God is our deepest pleasure, we display him as our highest treasure. We will glorify him with our lives. We will keep the word of God. There's a time to keep. Real quickly, uh, I'm just gonna give you some keep verses here what we're supposed to keep. 1 John 2, 4, keep the word of God. 1 Timothy 5, 22, keep yourselves pure. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. When God is your greatest satisfaction, it will give you the power of contentment. James 1.27, keep yourself unstained from the world or unpolluted from, from the world. 1 Peter 2.12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. 1 Peter 3.10, whoever desires to love life and good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. If Jesus is the greatest treasure and satisfaction of your life, it will put a guard over your tongue because you don't want to say or do anything that will displease him, that will cause broken fellowship with God. Don't waste your life. Seek after God. The Christian life is a fight of faith. Uh, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And that is in the context of seeking after worldly riches and pleasure in other things of this world. I firmly believe that the fight of faith is the fight to maintain joy in God in the midst of a pleasure-seeking world. That is our fight. A fight for joy and delight in God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you are here today 
and you have tried to live your life in your own strength and your own ability, trying to do things to, to make you feel better, try to satisfy that longing in your heart, and you've tried to fill it with drugs and alcohol, or you've tried to fill it with uh, pornography or sex, or maybe, maybe you were like someone who didn't do those things, but you tried to make education your treasure, and you've tried to attain knowledge and tried to, to better your life and to achieve the American dream of accumulating wealth. If you are any one of those, there is no satisfaction. We have to come to the conclusion like Solomon. There is no satisfaction or delight or joy in any of that, but it's only in Christ. Sometimes we say statements accepting Jesus as our Savior or accepting Jesus as our Lord. How about accepting Jesus as your greatest treasure and delight? Because when you make him, the, him your greatest treasure and delight, everything else will fall into place and in in the rest of your life. Jesus is here. His presence is here right now. And he's saying, come to me. I died on the cross. I shed my blood. It says in 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 2 that Christ suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous so that he might bring us to God. Jesus didn't just die to give you what you want, to try to give you other pleasures. He died so that he may bring you to God, so that you may be satisfied in God, in his presence. That's why he died, to bring you to himself. Because where he is, that's where there's fullness of joy. So if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if you've never made him the absolute treasure and satisfaction of your life, and you want to drink of the water that's freely given, that he gives, I want you to lift your hand. second invitation is for believers if you have found yourself trying to be satisfied and treasure anything else other than God and you want to repent and you want to, to turn and drink of the water that satisfies the water that gives enjoyment and you want, and you're saying today, I make my commitment today to make Jesus the absolute treasure and enjoyment in my life that I don't want anything else but Christ. I think everybody's hand should have come up. We all want to make, all need to make Jesus the absolute 
treasure of our life. Let me see your hands. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Father God, for this group of people here. I thank you, Father God, that you will touch them right now where they are seated, Father. That, that the Holy Spirit would penetrate their hearts right now in Jesus' name, Father. That you would give them a touch of heaven, a touch of your spirit, a touch of your presence in Jesus' name. Everybody just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. I give up as lost the pleasures of this world. My own desires and pursuits. And I ask that you come and make me a new person. I believe that Jesus, your son, died and rose again that he suffered for my sin so that I could be with you in your presence. I ask that you come into my heart now and fill me. I ask that you be the treasure and the satisfaction of my life. There's nothing there's no one, not anywhere, that compares to you. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge. Refuge.